0: Hello, everybody. Here, I'm to talk about Anchor. It's one of the best podcast uh, platforms that you can you can uh, go on. You can put all your podcasts on Apple, Google, any place. Any place to put up your podcast, you could all do it in one place. Anchor has all the tools to allow you to record and edit your podcast right from the phone or computer. And you can distribute any of your, your plat- podcasts on any platform. Like Apple, Spotify, Anchor, you know Anchor, Stitcher, iHeart, everything. It's everything you need. You need to make a podcast in one place. And best of all, Anchor is totally free. And let me tell you, I have had great experience with Anchor. Download the Anchor app or go to Anchor FM to get started today. That is Anchor FM to get started today. The cindy and joe show i'm joe i'm cindy and billy joel fall. is playing obviously i'm cindy-
1: sorry
2: cindy's
0: <laughs> very happy about it i had a bad experience being at a billy joel concert so i'll just refrain from comment the reason i played this song is because you were right i was wrong
1: i love that i'm a dumbass. i so love that
0: well i wouldn't i'm say a that. dumbass you're smart <laughs> you're a secretary of state I'm well, you will be, sir. Casey, yeah, I'm I, just a dumbass. Um, I really thought Bertuzzi was getting traded, and he didn't.
1: Yeah, we had quite a spirited debate and conversation about that on our last show. And uh, Joe was adamant that uh, Bert was, was on the block, and uh, I was equally adamant saying, No way, Bert's not going anywhere, and I had my reasons for it. And I'd love to expand on some of that, Joe. Would you care to? Explain to everyone out there in listening land why you felt that Tyler Bertuzzi was going to be traded.
0: My reasoning was justified. Because I thought Stevie Y was going to send a message to the team, right? That, like, what's happening is not acceptable, right? But he didn't. And I was wrong. So I admit that. But here's the thing. Like, I didn't expect him to get as good a, a deal as he did with Nick Letty. And I obviously knew Domestikoff was gone and I thought it was really, really telling when he went on 97, one, he said, yeah, anybody that was unrestricted free agent, I was willing to sell, but they, they have a buyer. Right. Yeah, and I was like, if you're an unrestricted free agent right now for the Detroit Red Wings, he was shopping all of y'all.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's right. He was. And then he just, you know, I think he put all of his UFAs out there and then, uh, you know, got, you know, Got rid of the ones people took a bite on, and um, but I'll tell you this: I think that what he got, uh, I'll agree. I like the deal he got for Nick Letty because I like Sonny. You know, I like Sundquist. I thought that was a great acquisition, and um, you know, plus he got a pick out of that, and he got uh, Walnut, bleh, Walnut out of it. So I think he did. I think he did all right on that one. But I'll tell you, for Nemetsnikov and Stetcher, I don't think Stevie got a Steve Eiserman deal out of that. He got what any other GM would have gotten. He got fair market value, perhaps. But Steve is so used to getting better, or we are used to Steve getting better than fair market value. We're used to seeing the Eiser deals. We're used to seeing, seeing some really, um, you know, getting some real serious value. I mean, Stevie's known to pick pockets. He's known to cut real tough deals. I actually expected him to get more out of those two. But I think for Letty, he... He got a very very good deal out of it.
0: Here's the issue though. The issue for uh, Stevie Y was, I was I was surprised he got anything for Stetcher. I mean Stetcher's been fu- effing brutal. I mean I watched him against Seattle. Um, I was with the Jenna Meister because uh-huh. uh, it was my ber- <laughs> it was my birthday. Uh, it's it, so I was watching the Red Wings and I was like, they better beat this goddamn team. And then she like like obviously she left because it was getting late. And, she didn't really want to be driving home that late. But uh I was watching a game, and all I, all I said was, This MF better make the MF <laughs> and play. And like, you know, my, my cousins were my cousin was downstairs and she's like, What what's going on? I'm like, that's sports, you don't even understand.
1: <laughs> but you, they don't understand when we're yelling at the TV I like they can hear so us. So
0: pissed off because like, and this is what I steam from Setcher, like and we were, I was talking with Nolan yesterday, the, the guy from uh, the free uh, the news Detroit News. Yeah, and uh, he was saying, you know, like he was talking to some Vancouver people, and they said, like, yes, Stuttrer has good moments, and he has bad moments, and sometimes he gets better as the year goes on, and sometimes he gets worse as the year goes on. And I was like, he got worse with Detroit, and I was like, God, like I was, I was so, I was surprised that Stevie got anything from him. To be honest, the way he's played. Um, Nemesnikov, fourth-round pick. I think that's right in the realm of what, you know, was going for. Nemesnikov is a good player, but there's some deficiencies that he has. Mm -hmm. Um, So, but I was surprised that he got as much as he got for uh, Letty. That was good. He got Wallman, who was – he's got a great shot. Uh, Sunquist, who is a heavy body, who likes likes to hit. And that's something that I, I think on every Detroit fan is like, they need some bruisers. Bring the
1: bodies. Bring the size. Yeah, and we've been looking for that, and hopefully the Detroit Red Wings are recrafting uh, kind of their roster to reflect the um, the need for some more physical play, and uh, that yet they're bringing on highly skilled guys. I think one thing's for sure, and what I why I was so adamant, Stevie was going to keep Tyler Bertuzzi, and I laid out why I thought that was. Steve basically confirmed that in his statements to the media is that his core group is Larkin, Bertuzzi, Sider, and Raymond, and he's going to build around that. He's going to build a team around that beginning of that core, and I think he might have one or two other guys who are going to become a part of that core. Mm -hmm. who are going to reveal themselves to be worthy of that here at the either end of this season or starting uh, next season but I think he's going to do a lot over the off season mm-hmm. to build around these guys. Um,
0: I think this season would have been a whole lot different if Verona was playing the whole year. I mean, look.
1: well, and they were doing, and actually even with, without Verona, right. look how well they were doing up to the all-star break. You couldn't argue that this team was making progress. And Steve said that. Mm-hmm. So, but um, the, the fact last, that they've just, the last
0: six weeks have been, pretty oh, hard it's lost.
1: been brutal. But again, uh, you know what I say to this? Yes. The last six weeks have been ugly. They've been brutal. They've, just collapsed defensively, Mm -hmm. you know, when they're giving up 10 goals, nine goals, seven goals against Edmonton. I mean, you're giving up a ton of goals, but at the same time, um, you know, again, they are, they knew that that's where their deficiencies were. And with the schedule they ran into in the last six weeks, it just shows that. I mean, I think, I think the deficiencies were always there defensively, but it wasn't so starkly obvious until they started playing some really, really tough competition.
0: I agree. For the most part, I think that, that, um, I just think with Verona in the, in the lineup, I think this is, they would be closer to a playoff spot than they, than they are right now. Obviously, they have not played good defensive hockey. And part of that, I just think that is, there's a mixed bag of, I think, what Stevie Y said on 97 when to take it about running into a wall. I think they did run into a wall. I think they played good for so long and they did so well and then they ran into this little rut, and a lot of teams run into it, but uh the last couple of weeks of the season, we need to see some improvement. I think if you do see improvement, I think Blackshall's back. If you don't see improvement, Blackshall's not back.
1: Well, and that is the question of the day, really. And the question that Stevie, why has been asked? And quite frankly, he's dodging that. And I think that's very telling. The fact that he won't directly address the Jeff Blaschel question uh, is in itself very telling. I think you could be onto something, Joe. I think you could be right. He could be in an evaluation stage right now mm-hmm. where he's saying, mm, it's going to, it can go either way. We're at, all a, teams, we're at a tipping point.
0: All teams have run into a rut where they, they've, hit the snide and they're they're playing bad hockey and then they get back on a, on a run but yesterday was a good start and i think they need to get mm-hmm. back to playing the way that they were playing because the last i think it was what two three four weeks that wasn't Red Wings hockey that was just hogwash it was absolutely garbage and I don't that was that
1: was junior hockey at best.
0: ECHL hockey. <laughs> ECHL Listen, hockey. I, I just I just think that like I don't think we're there's... gonna have
1: every ECHL player hating us right now because okay. we we're always dissing on the E on the East Coast League. Right? Go
0: go ahead. All these East Coast hockey league guys. <laughs> I don't care. The reality of the situation is like NHL is the best league on earth.
1: They're like, hey. Don't be dissing us. We're making 500 big ones a week to play hockey, buddy. <laughs> um,
0: yeah. Let's go over to Swedish Elite Hockey League and have you play one of those teams see how oh, you do. Oh, my
1: God.
0: Yeah. It, 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 but, you know, it's like I I just think that this is an evaluation period. I think that uh, Jack show is going to be evaluated because I, I kind of took a little bit of what Eisman said on 97 when and I don't think you heard the interview, mm-hmm. but he said, like, they hit a snot, they hit a wall, and he's – He's now, he wants to see what they do the rest of the year. And I think that's something that was telling. I was like, if he doesn't, if Blashell doesn't do good down the stretch, he'll be gone. If he does good, I think he'll be back.
1: Well, I think Jeff Blaschel's, uh strength as a coach has been his development of young players. I mean, that's his strong suit. He, he did it with the Griffins. And I think that was actually his function, uh, his intended function for the Detroit Red Wings was player development. Um, and I don't know if it, we're at a point where CB feels as if that player development, he, he, that Blash has taken it as far as he can go. And therefore, you know, now the mission essentially has changed. The mission is now not player development, but yet now it is taking this team to the next level. If that's the case, then he's going to be looking for for a new skipper to kind of take I've over. I've
0: argued with people that Jeff Blaschow has developed talent, though
1: well right and I, I
0: think i think the guy like vilano has made steps for rasmussen's made steps for raymond you can consider raymond cider as part of his his development too because they didn't just you don't just i mean obviously there's unicorns that come in the league but like you have to have the right coaching
1: well it could have been it could very well have been blash who suggested sending them to the swedish league yeah you know what i mean the thing is it's a lot of this behind the scenes stuff too that Blash could have been instrumental in in terms of determining where to put guys, how to how and when to pull them up, that kind of thing. So um, you know, that might have been the function for him. And now they're at a point where they know what they're gonna do, they know what they need to do, they've got their core, and now Steve can take it to the next level. I you know, but this is standard Steve Iserman. Mm-hmm. He did this. Blash is the second longest tenured head coach. In the nhl Mm -hmm. who's the first one tampa bay john cooper right so it's it's, so and where did steve come from tampa bay so this this is kind of um you know the 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 forte of of steve eiserman he tends to do this he likes to stay with what's working but when he's ready to change the mission he will change the players i
0: was talking to a scout the other day who works for an nhl team in the western conference Mm -hmm. And he literally said this, and I didn't think about this at first, was continuity is huge. It's absolutely massive, especially in hockey. Yeah. And he pointed me to a team that has some really good talent, and they never put it together. And that's that's the team the Red Wings played last night, was the Philadelphia Flyers. They're on their sixth head coach since 2013. Okay? Yeah. Their sixth head coach. Yep. There's parts of what – Cvy does is you know he was around a guy who you know he obviously had Brian Murray as his coach before Scotty Bowman, but he was always he always had the same coach, yeah. And that I think he really believes in that whole mindset of I want to keep continuity in there. I want to keep it, and then when we hit a wall, then I'll make the change. But I really don't think he's going to make the change just because. Everyone tells him to, you know.
1: Oh, absolutely not. And I don't think he's going to make the change just because the numbers don't reflect what he wants to see.
0: And you, I think and it's a, could, I think there's
1: more to it than that. And you
0: could tell yesterday he reiterated that you know there it's a rebuild like it's it's not going to be easy. was hasn't been easy, but he's saying we're we're starting to see things trickle and he, that's. You don't really see honesty like that on Stevie Wye where he's saying, we're starting to see some things. You know, he named Simon Emerson in the, the Swedish Elite Hockey League who's, for all intents and purposes, people think he's going to be B's knees.
1: Yeah, he's going to be a stud. I mean, he Soderblom playing, playing good. Yeah, yeah.
0: Niederbach. I mean, Bergeron, they could call him up, but they don't want to call him up because AHL, is, the Grand Rapids Griffins are pushing for a playoff spot. So he, he kind of wants them to you know, do good and keep that continuity. That's, that's what I'm talking about continuity. Cause he, he could bring Berger up. Yeah. Berger could be probably your second, second center right now. Yeah. But he's like, no, I'm going to leave him down there because I want him to experience what a playoff push is and all that stuff. And that's, that's, that's what Stevie Y is thinking. And I think that's exactly what the mindset he's thinking as he goes through this coaching evaluation.
1: I think so too. I, I, I think, you know, Steve likes to keep things close to the vest. I mean, everybody knows this about him, but he said it. He said exactly that. He goes, I like to keep quiet and to myself. And, you know, he just doesn't feel that there's a lot of things that need to be shared. And um, that's just his style. That's how he is. And that's how a lot of really great leaders are in terms of their. Um,
0: they don't show their hand before. They of got course
1: through. not. Of course not. You know, um, I mean, even, you know, I mean, I say even myself, you know, a lot of things i i i don't i don't say anything about and people say oh well you don't care because you don't say something well there's a reason you know silence they say silence is golden and sometimes there's a reason for that and great leaders uh, don't show their
0: hand there's there's two coaches in sports that i can i can think of one's bill belichick and he he doesn't really have a personality but you can't (laughs) you can't really deny that he's a great effing coach i mean scotty bowen wasn't really the most personable person, but like, right. He was a great ass coach. Yeah. I think those people that you see that are kind of stoic and they kind of keep it to themselves. They really show, they don't really show their hand and they that's what makes them great.
1: Absolutely. Well, it's certainly part of the, the recipe for that. So I think Steve is going to do what he'll need to do when he needs to do it. He's he demonstrates tremendous restraint and patience and discipline um, you know, even, you know, I think he gets a little impatient with himself sometimes or, or with, you know, he doesn't like it when people don't perform, mm-hmm. you know, and to him, there's just really no excuse for that. And um, so I think he loses patience at that point. But in this case, uh, I think his choices with regards to coaching staff are very strategic, very methodical, and he will make the right move at the right time. Um, he's not going to be pressured into doing anything else.
0: I believe the same thing. I don't think he's going to make these – these mis- he's going to be pressured into anything. I think he's very deliberate with what he does. I think he has a planned approach, which we've seen. And I think that he just he, – he out-thinks everybody else because of the way he thinks the game and the way he perceives it.
1: Well, some people – you know, they say some people will manage – like they're playing checkers. They want the, they want to be kinged. They want to be, you know, they want to have be all show and some people play chess and Steve Eiserman plays chess. He's thinking five, six, seven moves ahead. He already knows cause he knows where he wants to go. And I believe that Steve Iserman is not looking just to be a flash in the pan. He's not looking just to put, I mean, let's face it. Steve Eiserman could make all the moves. He's got all the authority in the world. He's got the money to go ahead and pull together a, a championship team for a year. He won't be able to hold it more than that. That's not what Steve's looking for. He's not looking for a contender for a year. He's looking for a contender for a decade. He's looking for another legacy. He's looking for the Detroit Red Wings not to have a good year, but a good decade. And he's putting the pieces in place to do that, just like Tampa Bay.
0: I I love what you just said. People need to understand, to be a consistent contender, you have to build through the draft. Build, 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 and then when you you can add pieces once you identify that you do have those pieces, and you can now go and go into free agent Mark and be like, listen, we got this. We can get this guy, and he'll make the team better. We can get this guy, and he'll make the team better. That's what I like. What CVY is doing. I think the best way to build a team is through draft.
1: Yeah, you build from the core out. It's like even, you know, for, for a lot of us who go to the gym and we work with personal trainers, and I've been blessed to work with a fantastic personal trainer. Uh, I know you, you missed me, Frank. I'm, I'm coming back. But uh, I've been a little bit busy with this SOS thing, yeah. right? But what what will a good trainer tell you? Any good trainer says, we're going to build your core first. We're not going to put a pair, pair of guns on you. Like, yeah, we could do that. We could build up your arms, and you can give you a pair of guns that are going to be flashy but you don't have the inter- you don't have the core strength to hold that up. So what good is it because you're really not as strong as you think you are. It's a facade. Yeah. Steve doesn't want to put up a facade. He wants to build from core out. He'll build the core strong as hell first and then when he starts to build out those guns, when he starts to build out those legs and thighs, when he starts to build out that endurance, you are going to see an absolute grade A championship team that can compete in the long term. That's what he's wanting to do, and that's exactly what the Illiches have hired him to do. Yeah. So let's not lose sight of that. And I think that you know Wings fans have you know have been they're very patient. Uh, they can be. We get a few people on our on our pages who are you know get rid of Blashill, fire Blashill, but I think that's very short sighted. Um, I think that you know Jeff Blashill will will make his exit from the team dignified, gracefully, and at the right time. And um, I think Steve, he and Steve Eiserman will work together on that. And uh, Steve will bring in what we need when we need it. So uh, when everybody says trust the Iser plan, uh, I I believe that because there's one thing is for certain, nobody can deny Steve Eiserman is running this program. He's running this crew, and he's one of the smartest, most intuitive people in the game right now and probably ever. I mean, there's just no doubt about that. This is what he was born to do. You know, I like to tell people, I was, I feel as if I was, I was always born to be in public office. I was born to be in public service. I was born to be in government. It's really, really weird. I know I'm weird. I get it. It's cool. I'm, I, I've am i learned to accept it, right? Darren always says, live your truth. Oh, okay. My truth is I was born to do this. Um, and, and I have a, a weird, almost unbelievable intuitiveness uh, about intuition about my field. Steve is the same way. Yeah. And there's no doubt about that. How can you not trust in that?
0: There's a lot of people that are kind of... There's a lot of people that are... There's a lot of people that are... They, uh, they uh, uh,
1: We are laughing. I must share this. So Joe has... What, what are you... What it would cause anybody to pause if you get a vibration between your legs. Yeah, at some I had my point. phone between
0: my legs. <laughs> phone... I had my phone between my legs and I started getting a call, and it's vibrating. And I'm like, what the
1: hell is going on? It's you're getting feeling all tingly in very sensitive places. Oh boy. Pause <laughs> pause for anyone. But anyway, we digress. We get off of it. I can't
0: I can't even but, know, I don't even know what I just said. Can't even
1: read <laughs> Can't even recover from that. Well, thank God. I think the Red Wings have the right people in place. All we can recover. say is
0: the Red Wings are recovering.
1: <laughs> they're recovering. It's okay. It's like they've been on a bender and now they realize morning has come. They've taken their aspirin. They've taken their. They've eaten their bananas. Taken their dry toast, and they're ready. They've had pots and pots of coffee. They are ready. To get over that, forget about that nightmare of the bender they were on, mm-hmm. and now they're on the road to recovery.
0: So, what do you want to see from the Red Wings in the next couple games?
1: What I'm looking to see from the Red Wings in the next couple games, actually, and they actually demonstrated that very well um, in the last game that they played. In that was, um, you know, you see a pep in their step. Yeah. You see some uh, new energy, and I'm looking to see that, and I'm looking to see, you know, some kind of um, some kind of retooling on defense. Yeah. You know, that's what I'm looking so for. So
0: their next their next four games. They have two games on a row, the road, Islanders, uh Penguins. Yep. Two games at home, the Tampa Bay Lightning and the New York Rangers. What do you think the record will be?
1: Um I'm going to go out on a limb here. I'm going to say the Wings are going to go th- uh 3 and 1. I think they're going to lose to Tampa Bay, but I think they're going to I think they're going to take New York. Uh the Islanders, I think they're going to take uh um, Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh and um then I think they're. I think they're going to take the last one too.
0: I will go three and one, but I'm going to say they lose to Pittsburgh.
1: Okay, so I'm thinking they're going to lose to Tampa Bay.
0: Yeah, I think they're going to lose to Pittsburgh, but uh, we'll see what they do in the next couple games. Tough schedule, a little bit of, but it's it's good because we're going to we're going to see if they actually bust out of the slump.
1: They got twenty what twenty games to go, nineteen games to go, yeah, something so, like so, that,
0: something like that. Yeah, they got they got a few ways to go, but I, I think. If you can just gather a little bit of pride and points,
1: yep. finish strong.
0: Finish strong, and I think that forget be, about the bender. I think that'll be good for everybody involved. This is Cindy and Joe show. This is the rubbing segment. Obviously, you will hear Nolan Bianchi of uh, of the uh, Detroit, Detroit News. Uh, he's a freelance writer. He was formerly on the lockdown Rubbings podcast. Very good hockey mind. You can follow him on Twitter. And then in the next segment, we will be talking about the Tigers. Talk about a difference in two teams at the same personnel, but we will get to that in the next segment. See you then. All right, welcome to Cindy and Joe's show. Obviously, Cindy's not here. We are with Nolan Bianchi. <laughs> I hope I said that right. Uh, he caught, He's a freelance reporter for the Detroit News, and he was formerly on the Lockdown Red Wings podcast. He's got a lot of good insight into the Red Wings, so we have him on here.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm uh, I'm looking forward to it. I Always love chopping it up about some wings. So uh, obviously, lots to talk about.
0: Yeah, I seen that you were there yesterday at the press conference.
2: I was not. I was I not.
0: Thought you, I thought you were there.
2: No, no. I was. Uh, I was doing that all from from the comfort of my own bedroom. So that, oh, was, that, was, was, on, that was I was. It was on Skype, bit.
0: right? Zoomer. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yep. How did how so, did how did Eisenman sound when he was talking about you know the whole trade deadline? What did you think about it?
2: Well, I kind of thought that, you know, he he really did the best with what he could. Yeah. Uh it kind of reminds me of two deadlines ago where like you had some guys that could be moved, Athena CU Mike Green, uh and you know, that those obviously weren't the prizes of the free agent market by any means. Right. And uh you know, it, it kind of played out exactly how you thought it would. I think yesterday was a pretty interesting day. Uh just across the league because, you know, we we as of like a week ago, the the market kind of started to pick up, trade started to uh to happen, and and you're looking at it like holy crap, like this is quite the seller's market, and and you know when you apply that to Steve Iserman, uh, that usually means it's like uh, worth double. I don't know, it, but um, you know, I I think a lot of people were expecting something crazy, uh, and yeah, with just- Tyler Mercuzzi. Yeah. Yeah. Bertuzzi, was, Zadina, anything like that. And it just one never people, came.
0: I was one of those people that bought into the rumors about Bertuzzi being moved. I was like, he's, <laughs> he's totally getting moved, you know, because you hear it from Frank Cervale. You're like, okay, he's, he, he has to know something, you know, but then he, it, it comes out to be hogwash anyways.
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean like that, that, you know, there's no telling whether or not they actually had discussions on it. I don't think he said during his press conference yesterday, whether or not they, they entertained anything, but uh you know when it was all said and done he kind of did give give Bertuzzi a vote of confidence, said that he'd like to extend him sometime in the next eighteen months and and make him a player that's here for a really long time. Now that is, uh, that could just be a bluff, you know, that could be <laughs> something he's doing to to keep his trade value high if he did kind of try and move somebody at the deadline, but is now might be looking to move them closer towards a draft or something like that. Yeah. So I don't think that trading Tyler Bertuzzi is ever out of the question, but I also don't necessarily know that it was uh, a focal point or a mission of what he was trying to accomplish this deadline.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think I think with Tyler Bertuzzi, you know, he's he said that about, you know obviously he gave Mantha that contract extension, and then he trades him for Jacob Verana I mean, he's he says he doesn't want to be known as a guy you can't read, but you really can't read this guy.
2: Yeah, and I think that you know the what's really interesting is I remember I was listening to the uh, Thirty Two Thoughts podcast with Elliot Friedman sometime in the last week, and he was talking about that in particular with with dylan larkin and and you know i think everybody uh would believe that trading dylan larkin is is unquestionable and that he would fit in that category of untouchables along with raymond and Cider. emily kaplan from espn put out a report said that uh cider and raymond were the only untouchables and didn't mention dylan larkin i think that that just got everybody's ears perked up a little bit and so um you know it, it it's He's somebody who I think just prefers to do his business in quiet. And I think there are a lot of benefits to that. Uh, but then obviously the, the um, you know, opposite reaction to that as, as people who follow the team and stuff like that, is that you just don't get a lot of breadcrumbs. You don't see a lot of stuff coming and, you know, you can, you can kind of be holding out for something that just, just never comes to fruition like yesterday with, uh, a, you know, hypothetical Bertuzzi deal or something like that.
0: Yeah, the hypothetical Bertuzzi trade. I, I thought I thought at the first I was like, there's no way. And then I was like, oh, I bought." I totally bought into it at, 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 the, at the end. Yeah. Of it. Like, I was like, this is totally happening. But what do you think about the Nick Letty trade? Like, obviously, I thought he got a lot for Nick Letty, especially since he's expiring deal on the uh, – he's going to be a free agent next year. Yeah, I mean, yeah, same- I mean
2: he's, he essentially got the, the second-round pick back that he uh, used to acquire him. So I thought that was nice. and then on top of it he got a couple uh, nice players in uh, Oscar Sunquist and Jake wallman. I don't know what those players will be, but you know i I do think that as you kind of move these players out, I mean he moved three players at the deadline two of them he only got back draft picks and then the other one he kind of replaced essentially in that blues deal you know he kind of uh, yeah he replaced. picked up the uh, picked up Sunquist to maybe uh, take on a role as you know he won't be in the same role as Vlad Nemestikov I don't think he's as good of a player as Vlad Nemestikov but he does kind of fit that you know third fourth line forward type deal maybe second line forward I don't I don't know what he'll end up doing just because uh, you know Blashel is so all over the place when it comes to his line combos and stuff <laughs> like that but then he also got a replacement on the back end uh, with Wallman so you know he, it's kind of Sounds like Wallman is a little bit similar to the type of player that Nick Letty is maybe not as good in transition, maybe not as good exiting the zone and on zone entries, but uh, you know, still sounds like borderline replacement level players. You can kind of throw into the lineup and not have to worry about calling up, you know, reinforcements from the AHL to, to finish off the season here.
0: Yeah, exactly. Especially since they're going for a playoff run and grab it's, but you know, I, I, Watch seeing Sunquist come to the, the Red Wings and uh, Wallman, you know, obviously I have a scouting background with the, the NHL and I actually interview with the Red Wings, but you know Wallman that, that guy he's he's a he's just a stay at home defenseman. He's not really good in transition, so I see what you're saying there. And Sunquist he's a bottom six guy, but it's still good to get something back for a guy who's probably going to free agency anyways.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, when you think about what the trade deadline is for, for a rebuilding team, a team like the Red Wings, you know, it's pretty much just to how can we get assets without setting, you know, our team back and, and, you know, let's just be smart about this. And I'm glad that, that he's not going to just let things fall off the cliff and say, all right, well, you know, you know, I don't know how we're going to get through the rest of the season because things have not been good. He actually acknowledged that yesterday as well uh, over the past six weeks. And so I think, you know, one of the primary goals is to kind of get something for the players who are worth something, while at the same time making sure that all of the progress that was made at the beginning of the season is not completely forgotten about by the time we reach season's end, due to uh, a supreme drop off in play, kind of like we've seen. Because it really does feel like over the past you know month or two, uh, they have a little bit erased that that feeling of progress. And you know who knows where they'll finish up, but they could finish. Uh, somewhere very similar to to where they did last year. and I don't think that would necessarily be a surprise. Uh, but I think it would be a little bit disappointing given the way that they started the season and, and how promising everything looked because I think right now a lot of people are just like, what the heck is going on? So
0: yeah, I, I look at it like I kind of like, I think the first part of the season was kind of like a mirage if you if you would, you know, because I really don't think they were that good. Cause I really don't think that they had the defense to, to keep up with it. And I really didn't think their offense was that good either, but this has been totally just ridiculous the way they've allowed 61 goals in the last 10 losses. And it's just ridiculous.
2: Yeah. This last stretch has been uh, really bad. And, you know, I remember I was looking at it kind of, I think I can't remember if it was going into that Toronto game or if it was before the tour or after the Toronto game or whenever it was, but you know, that was kind of the beginning or, or I don't want to say the beginning. They, they had a really tough seven game stretch where they played like seven top 10 teams in the yep. league. Uh, and Toronto was one of them, that game that they gave up, was it nine goals, 10 goals, whatever it was. Yeah.
0: 10 goals. Yep.
2: Um, and I remember I was looking at the, the, you know, goal differential across the league, and I believe heading into that game, they were third worst in the league in goal differential, and that just doesn't happen overnight. That doesn't happen, you know, necessarily because of a bad two-three game stretch. And so, I think that stat was kind of, uh, you know, seeing that was was kind of the eye opener for me. Is like, okay, maybe this team has been playing a little bit above its its means a little bit, and I think that everybody kind of figured that for. A majority of the season, but at the end of the day they were still producing wins. They were finding ways to win close games. And and you know, maybe maybe it was the result of a buy-in, but their losses were really, really ugly. And so I think at the end of the day, like you just have to to come to terms with the fact that yeah, their defense was was not very good at all. And uh you know, we're kind of seeing the results of that now.
0: Their goaltending hasn't been good. Like I mean I, the Dalkovich has been playing better as of late, but Man, like, some of the goals that they're giving up, I mean, hitting your your own puck in your own net is kind of embarrassing. But giving them nine goals to the Coyotes was a little bit of a rude awakening, if you will.
2: Yeah, there was, like, twice in a five-game stretch where Nedeljkovic got pulled and then he had to get sent back in the game because Grice was worse. And I honestly, (laughs) like, don't ever remember seeing that in my entire life. So to happen twice in five games is really – kind of tells a story of where that team yeah. was and i do think that that arizona loss was a bit of a, a reaching rock bottom point for that team and you know kind of the thing that i, I guess for me and you know outside of that stretch i think well during that, stre- that that tough seven game stretch i think it was kind of becoming clear that okay this team probably is going to make playoffs and then it's like all right can they rebound against the coyotes and then they they throw out that kind of performance and Pretty much from that I was like, all right, that's that's all she wrote on this one. So yeah,
0: I was I was surprised they unloaded Troy Stutcher too because of his he, he I can't, he was just not good with Detroit. And you know, there were several times where he looked good and then he looks really, really bad at times. It's like, ooh.
2: Yeah, Troy Stetcher was a really interesting case. I remember when when he first signed with Detroit, I talked to uh, yeah. some woman who covers the uh, Vancouver Canucks pretty closely and you know i was asking her like what what is the story on this guy because vancouver fans love him you know he, he's obviously not exactly a world beater back there on the blue line but like what's the story and you know she basically told me that every single year you know he would start in the on the third pair and then slowly kind of work his way up to being a top four guy by the end of the year looked really good in a couple different situations and, and fans would be high on him going into the next season only for him to to kind of find himself back in that exact situation uh with with you know heading into the season on that third pair so I think you know he was scratched for a little bit he had the wrist injury I think there were a number of different things that kind of played into that but I mean like there were times last year I believe where where they played seven defensemen and he wasn't in the lineup and it was like dude like that's it yeah. just didn't seem right. Like, he I mean, wasn't it, playing that bad. <laughs>
0: and, I mean, it's, but, it's, it's it's okay if you're playing for Tampa Bay and you're in a seventh defenseman. I mean, yeah. that's, that's, that's obvious. Or Florida, but, like, geez, Detroit, like, that's, like, not good for your whole – Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, like, exactly. Yeah, so I really want to know, what do you, like, think about Flashall? Do you really – do you think he's going to be fired at the end of the year? I mean, I, I'm kind of, of the slim majority that thinks that this is mainly a talent Thing, but I, his line combinations have kind of haven't been great. So I was uh, wondering what you think about that.
2: Um, as far as whether or not he will be back next year, I think that that quote from Eisenman yesterday was a little bit telling. Uh, I don't think it was as telling as some people wanted it to be. Like I, I posted on Twitter, and I think a lot of people took it as like, "Oh, he's definitely gone," yeah. um, because he did say the last six weeks haven't been good for anybody. But the fact of the matter is, he did also acknowledged the fact that they had seen some real progress at the beginning of the year. I was kind of under the impression that maybe if this, these last six weeks, then this complete and utter collapse didn't happen, that maybe he had a chance of coming back. Uh, but you know, you, you point to the line combinations. I think it was sometime last week, like he had Giovanni Smith playing in the second line and Jacob Verona playing on the third. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I I saw that
0: and I was like, man, oh man.
2: Yeah. And then that on top of, you know, the defensive systems, like he, he simply it's weird because like you would kind of go back and forth with this team of like the style they play. Like they, they were in a lot of games last year because they were very kind of focused on playing that defense first style and it worked out for them a lot of times. They didn't pick up a lot of wins, but they were able to keep games close. They lost a lot of games, two to one. They lost a lot of games in overtime. They lost a lot of games, you know, three games, whatever it be. And And you're just not really seeing this 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 year. It's, it's very chaotic and the results seem random. And, and the fact of the matter is the defense has not been good at all. And, you know, when, when the time has come for the coach to kind of step in and and smooth things out, he simply hasn't. And so uh, I do think that if I were a betting man, I would probably bet on him not being the head coach next year. Uh, but maybe that is a, a little bit of, of wishful thinking because, you know, that is definitely the pulse of whatever the the fans are saying right now. And yeah, I don't know. It, it, it's, it's interesting. It's, it's one it, of those, you never know with Steve Eisenman type of deals. It's, but yeah,
0: it's, it's so interesting. Cause he went on 97, won a ticket today. as Stevie Y did. And, and uh, he, he basically, he was like, He's like, yeah, it's my fault that you know the talent on the roster, the talent on the defense. He's like, but it's everybody's fault for he, he was. He kind of played this tight to the best. And they asked him about Blashell, and he's like, well, he had a good start to the year, and you know the last six weeks haven't been as good. But then he's like giving him this like little window of this last portion of the season where he can kind of pick things back up. And I don't know. I just think I just think Jeff going to stay around another year. I just I I think he's going to get another chance to right the ship, and I think. Stevie Y is going to make some moves in free agency this year, and I just think that that's something that Stevie Y really wants to do.
2: I don't necessarily think you're wrong. I think it's 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 you know it could very well be likely that that is exactly what happens. Uh, I think people will lose their ever-loving minds if it. You, does, you know they but... will.
0: You know they will. They'll, they'll lose their minds. Like we, yeah. I, I I see it all the time. but anytime you post something about Blasio, it's like blows up and like no, he's horrible. Like. Everyone thinks that Scotty Bowman, you know, that Scotty Bowman's coming back. I'm like, guys, Scotty Bowman's a once in a lifetime type coach. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah, it's it, it won't be
2: Scotty Bowman, but you're it, not it will Scottie be Bowman. Uh, hopefully, you know, there there are quite a few guys I think that Red Wings fans have identified as well people who were with the organization formerly and uh, Larry Anoff and Fedoroff, and yeah, uh, there's that guy over in Sweden, Richard Kronberg, or I think that's his name, yeah, uh, and I think fans, they they have the, uh, I don't know, because, you know, last season when everybody was like, oh, it's, it's Gallant, it's Gallant, it's Gallant, he's going to be the next guy, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Like, I don't, like, he could have had Gallant if he wanted him, but people act like, you know, he missed out on his opportunity to get Gallant when the reality is, like, that that is simply not the case. And, yeah, I think Gerard Galant is a good coach, but the fact of the matter is he hasn't won, and the way he's been kind of swiftly, you know, removed from his previous two positions
0: yeah, Vegas, uh, new york yeah exactly
2: yeah yeah And you know it's like he's not the end-all be-all and yeah exactly. people yeah, obviously they're... want it because there's the ties and he has had success but i don't know I, I don't necessarily have an idea in mind for who the next coach will be i just know that that if blash comes back i don't think people will be happy
0: uh th- th- there's no doubt they won't be happy they're it, <laughs> it's <laughs> That's the way Robins fans are. I mean, they're just, it's a passionate group. So that's obviously what you give a passion. No Man, it's like crazy, but like, I, you know, I heard Stevie Y on 97, won to take it. He was talking about that. This is going to be a long rebuild, but he named the prospects and said that he thinks that they're going to come up like a Simon, Simon Evidson and a Soderblom. Like, what do you guys, what do you think of those two in particular?
2: Well, I think uh, Soderblom is kind of an interesting case. I think, you know, he'll definitely probably be spending a, a season in Grand Rapids, but uh, who knows that that could very well change, uh, you know, starting next year in training camp. I do think he'll come over to North America. I hope he'll come over to North America after next season and kind of, you know, probably not, or I would say 80% chance that he won't make the roster out of camp, but uh you know, I, I think it'll be good to start getting him looks in the AHL, kind of getting him adjusted to that game on North American ice. And I think that that's a, a, something that a lot of people overlook is simply being able to adjust to the, the North American ranks. Uh, and, you know, Mo Sider definitely, he came over uh, from, from Sweden and, and he adjusted pretty well, but he also had a full year in the AHL and, and Lucas Raymond is an exception to that. Uh, but Lucas Raymond is a very, very, very special type of player. And I'm not saying Elmer Soderblom isn't, uh, but I do think that, you know, he is definitely more of a, uh, prospect in the traditional sense of like, okay, you're going to need to bring this guy along. Edvinson though. I, I, I am very high on Simon Edvinson. I think that there's like a chance that in five years, like, I don't, I don't ever want to say, like, oh, he's going to be better than Moritz Seider because Moritz Seider is looking like a, a perennial Norris Trophy candidate. Yeah. But I do think that there's a chance that in five to seven years, you can genuinely ask yourself the question, who would you rather have, uh, Seider or Edvinson, and it might be a tough decision. So that is not an indictment on Seider at all. It is more a uh, very high praise for Simon Edvinson because he looked like a very good prospect coming out of the draft. And everything he's done in his draft plus one year has only kind of reinforced that uh, in a way that, that has me really excited. All of his strengths of, or all of his weaknesses have kind of been, uh you know, developed over this past year. And, and we're seeing a really special player start to grow over there.
0: Oh yeah. I I, I love Simon Edmondson. I think, I think what you just said about him and Cider, I think that's, that's exactly where I kind of envision about uh, Edmondson. I think, Man, he's just – he's so, he's so good when you watch him. And he just – him and Sider, they kind of – when I was watching Sider over there in the Swedish Elite Hockey League, I was like, this guy's ready to play. And I look at Edmondson, I'm like, this guy is probably ready to play next year.
2: <laughs> yep, yep, exactly.
0: So, yeah. The, so, if you had to make a free agent signing in the offseason, are you going, like, forward, like, center? or Are you going defenseman or – you're going both.
2: Oh man, that is tough. I honestly haven't really looked at the free agent list uh, that's out there for this upcoming season. I can't think of too many off the top of my head, but I do think that uh, you do kind of want to start shoring up that center depth. Um, that's uh, that's exactly I, I think You're kind of loaded on the wings. I do think that there's probably a possibility that they go out and they make a, a, solid signing on the back end but i also don't know that they'll be committing any money to that so you know what kind of player can you really get for you know a a limited budget um on the free agent market it's it remains to be seen but um you know i think mark Stahl has a decent chance to come back next season and and when you look at the guys who might be filling out that roster Uh, at the nhl level you know you might have room for for a piece or two Uh, it'll be interesting to see kind of how they decide to fill those whether it be internally externally um, but the defense does need to improve so maybe that's that's where it happens but um, i would say actually i'm gonna i'm gonna flip my answer so i'm gonna say defense one uh, center two and then you know if you can get some help on the wings. Uh, by all means go for it and then who knows what they'll do in the goalie market as well because sebastian coast is still going to be quite a bit away and
0: uh price is a free crisis
2: is i would make a, a pretty good bet that he's not coming back next season
0: no i don't think he's coming back but you know i kind of think center is a little bit of a big that's a that's kind of one i i look at and i'm like they really need center That's because you know larkin it's obviously your top center that's going to be the, that's but you need a second center that's actually a second center not like Pucet or a, or, uh, you know, any of those guys, because you really need a second center, especially playing in the Atlantic division where there's so many people, you know?
2: Yeah, no, that's that's a good point as well. Like the the Atlantic division is so loaded with talent up the middle. And I, I just it, it could be via trade. You know, they, they could. That was kind of the thing that I had thought about with Bertuzzi is like, well, if you can trade him for an Anton Lundell type player a marco rossi type player somebody who you who you can kind of take a gamble on to say okay this is going to be our permanent answer at the 2c i think you know that's good enough reason for me to go ahead and do something like that because like you said it is so hard to do it and if they're going to do it through the draft um you're going to be waiting you're yeah you're going to be waiting probably a, a little bit on you know that elite player up the middle um but, you know, we'll see. We'll see Unless you
0: get the top overall pick because, you know, how you miss play—you barely miss the playoffs and you get the top overall pick in the NHL draft.
2: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's true. That's, especially if you're an original six uh, big market team.
0: Yeah, especially since, you know, they kind of want you to, especially in New York and all that stuff. So,
2: yeah, yeah. <laughs> all
0: right, man, it's been it's been nice talking to you. Obviously, you know a lot of stuff, and it was, it's been great to have you on. We'll have to have you on again.
2: Appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, anytime.
0: All right, cool. This is Nolan Bianchi from, he's a, he's from the Detroit News. He was on Lockdown Detroit Rapping's podcast, and uh, he came out between the whistles, and shh, hope you liked it. Have a good day. Hello. Welcome to Cindy and Joe show. I'm Joe.
1: I'm Cindy.
0: Country has made a, a look into the Cindy and Joe show.
1: I'm a little curious about the musical choice on this segment. I mean, I love Johnny Cash as much as anyone.
0: Johnny Cash, baby. Uh, I fell into a ring, ring of
1: fire. fire. Ring of a fire. ring
0: of fire. Because you know why?
1: And we're talking about the Tigers. And you must explain.
0: The Tigers, I believe, are in a ring of fire. And Chris Illich is involved.
1: Okay, you're going to have to expand a little bit on that. Because what do you mean by the ring of fire?
0: So Chris Illich had to go on a media expose to say... Listen, I, I didn't vote for the CBT. I vote. I didn't vote for it. I, I, I've obviously, you know, all of us agreed on the the last bargaining agreement, when it was specifically came out from four different writers that you were one of those people that voted not to approve it. And then we go on.
1: He says, "No, no way. I never voted against it." And that might be true, but that doesn't mean he wasn't working behind the scenes to be opposed to it. Or the second, it, didn't the, take the the it vote. doesn't
0: mean that he said the first one he didn't vote no on. Maybe he voted yes on this one, but it doesn't mean he, voted no, he didn't vote no on the other one. But the funny part about it is, I have a hard problem with the Detroit Tigers right now. What's your problem with them? The problem with the Detroit Tigers. Other
1: than Ala Avila, which we know, anybody who's listening to I this. I actually
0: am going to give Ala Avila a little bit of credit. Uh-oh. He actually has been doing a pretty good job. But here's where I kind of am, am a little bit skeptical of the Tigers. Now, Chris Illich, God bless his heart, great guy. I love the Illich family. Obviously, we love the Illich family. The Red Wings, Tigers, all that stuff. Absolutely. Little Caesars Pizza, great. Detroit Legacy. Great. great. Listen. The Detroit Tigers have a rich tradition of history, pageantry. It's an iconic logo. It is We are in Detroit. We aren't in uh, Podunk, Missouri or Kansas or wherever, you know, shout out to Ry guy who lives in Manhattan, Kansas or whatever Podunk city that is. But listen, Carlos Correa going to the twins in the division is an all right travesty.
1: Well, I'll tell you, I was very disappointed we didn't get Correa. My understanding is they tried to cut a deal. They could not come to terms. Uh, he wasn't opposed to coming to Detroit, but the terms just weren't right, and Minnesota is a better fit for him in that regard. I think it was a business decision, but I agree with you on this. The Tigers have spent more than most teams have uh, acquiring players, right? you got the Rangers. They spent about half a billion. You've got L.A. They're at $266 million, and the Mets at $258 million. The Detroit Tigers are somewhere around uh, $235 million committed, right? Why didn't they commit some of that to Carlos Correa? That I don't understand. Okay, but here's a, here's what I don't
0: understand. The Twins guy is known as a is uh, as, as a cheap owner. He's been known as a cheap owner. This is a guy who traded off pieces like like water just because he didn't want to pay him. Okay, the, I don't. So now we see what he he went to the the, the Twins for, and he obviously gets to opt out after every year, which is not bad. But, but, and that might
1: have been one of the terms that but, Chris Illich wasn't willing to agree to.
0: But you, in my opinion, that's better for you. Because let's say Correa does ball, right? And then you say, okay, Correa, come on. We'll pay you. You know this, whatever. I think, or you go to the free agency and you get someone better who comes around. I think the Tigers did a disservice to their fans. And I think that I only have one thing. I need to see from the Tigers this year. What's that? I need Riley Green up immediately, immediately, at, at, like the home opener. I need him up, and I need Spencer Torkelson, and I need oh, I, I think, need these I guys. I think
1: you're gonna see, you're gonna see. I think you're gonna see. I Torkelson need these guys her.
0: because we I mean, need Riley Green too. Because Riley Green, this that guy. It, listen, he. You think Lucas Raymond and Mo Sider are studs? You think Kate Cunningham is stud? Riley Green, rookie of the year, book it. Book,
1: book it. it. Wow, I should be, I should be, I should be placing a bet right this time. I minute. already did. I already did. <laughs> plus sixteen hundred. Let's go. You don't have to listen to any sports betting. You just listen to the Cindy and Joe show. Joe's got you covered. Um,
0: plus sixteen hundred. Spencer Torboson's plus plus five hundred, which makes no sense. But I'll take Riley Green's plus plus sixteen hundred all day, every day. Because I think he's going to dominate. In his I think if
1: he's given the right environment, he'll dominate. Let's take a look at the team that the Tigers are building around some of their core and some of their hot players. Here's what. Here are the the acquisitions that Chris Illich has spent his two hundred and thirty five million on. He's brought on a a catcher in Barnhart, okay, only for a year, but seven point five million dollars. Baez, six years, $140 million. So he's willing to make a long-term commitment there. Then what I find interesting is they put some money, and this is where I'm encouraged by what the Tigers can show us this year, Joe. It has always been a challenge. You know me, bullpen, bullpen, bullpen. I always thought our bullpen sucked. I always thought that's where we had our weaknesses. This last season showed that it isn't just the bullpen that their was our their, problem. Their
0: payroll isn't 235 it's, it's actually 113.
1: No, they've committed two hundred and thirty five million though.
0: So the, the, that's what
1: their 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 commitment
0: that's out, out. Right, okay, correct. Okay, their yeah,
1: long term commitment, right?
0: But but act but active payroll it's it's 113 million, that's right. not much.
1: I right. So but my thing is my point is that the last season showed us it's not just the bullpen that we have to worry about, it's our starters we had a serious deficiency in our starters we and need, if you look we at need an offense and if you look at the money that the tigers have committed they've spent a good amount on two starters left-handed starter Eduardo Rodriguez for 5 years at 77 million
0: but he's got an up to opt out after 2 which means- and then you've
1: got another and then you've got a right-handed starter in Panetta. that's only a 1 year at 5.5 I don't like million that, I
0: don't like that one but
1: But the point is, and then they got a reliever, right? And then they pick up a a right, and then they pick up a a left handed reliever for a couple of years at 13 million.
0: Yeah, the guy from the athletics. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, but my point is this they are investing in their pitching, which is where they were seriously deficient. So, at least they're willing to show that their priorities are in the right place. They're putting money into pitching, which anybody knows when you're going up to become a contender in the playoffs, certainly to goodness, if you're ever dreaming of the World Series, you better have a very, very deep bench when it comes to pitching. You've got to have enough starters to be able to get through okay, the playoffs, and then you've got to have enough relievers That you can call in what you need, when you need it, when you get to the highest levels and you're starting to play in the World Series. So, you know, my dad worked for the Tigers, right? A lot of people know this back in the early, late 40s, early 50s. And um, he saw some of the greatest times of baseball, right? And, um, you know, my dad was an outfielder and, um, you know, so he was not a pitcher. But I'll tell you what, who did he hang out with? My dad was an outfielder, but he hung out with pitchers. And I found that really interesting. And he would always have him, you know, teach him different pitches and things like that. That's where he kind of refined his knuckleball. And I'll tell you, almost till the day he died, he could throw an amazing knuckleball pitch. And a lot of people cannot master that pitch. But um, you've got to have you've got to have a you've got to have starters as well as relievers who are diversified. You've got to have enough of your balanced left and right-handed pitchers, but you also have to have people who have specialized pitches and be able to diversify that. Um, You know, you can't just throw heat all the time, Um, but uh, you got to have a couple guys who can bring that on. So I think that if you see where the Tigers have invested in, uh, you know, some of that committed money, I like where they're committing that money at. And I think Baez was a great deck. I think not, I think uh, locking him down for six years was a smart move. And um, I think that they are headed in the right direction, but I don't fault them, Joe. For these short contracts. I know you don't like them, but I don't fault them. Because no, you know I why think, it allows them I think that, to be
0: versatile. I think the opt-outs are good. because, But I think they are also bad. Because let's say Javi Baez doesn't work out. You know he's not going to opt out of that contract. You know, let's say I, I think Eduardo Rodriguez is going to opt out of his contract. Because he did good in Boston. And that's a shorter porch than in Comeric Park. Where you basically got like, you basically got forever. You can go from here from to like St. Clair. And you still won't. You still won't give up a home run ball because it's such a big ballpark instead yeah. of Boston where like it's a it's a boom box, you know.
1: Well, you know, and I think here's the other thing too, Joe, you know, they're only gonna have Mickey for another year, too. Yeah. So I think that uh, you know, may, that maybe some of these some of these deals reflect the fact that they're going to have to be doing some retooling after this season anyway. Mm-hmm. Um I don't think you're I don't think they're looking to be playoff contenders. This next season, but the season after that, I think you're going to see some significant changes and some long-term here's, here's, here's
0: what I need from Chris Hill, okay? I need one thing before the season. I need AJ Hinch has signed an extension to be with the Detroit Tigers manager because I think Hinch is the Hinch piece, as if they would say
1: the the Hinch pin. Hinch pin. <laughs> he
0: is the Hinch pin. Yeah. He is this, what stirs should drink. You know, we're lucky in this town because we – for all who hate Blaschel gets, he has done pretty well in, with the team that he has. Casey, Dwayne Casey for the Detroit Pistons, he's he's a pretty he's a good coach. A.J. Hinch is probably the best coach. Dan Campbell, you can tell that that team loves his ass and will do anything for him, and they will run mm. through an effing brick wall and bite off kneecaps. A.J. Hinch, though – Right when he came in, you knew there was boom right then and there, he, he made a difference.
1: You know, AJ Hinch strikes me as the type of manager who he's almost he doesn't have the same personality as Sparky Anderson, but he has the same kind of calming demeanor. Like, like you knew, I think, I when think, Sparky I was think, in charge, it was going to be okay. You know
0: who I think he's like confidence. I like him attitude wise attitude wise, who do you think he's, he's like? Baseball's version of Stevie Y. Maybe, yeah.
1: Baseball's version of Stevie Y. He
0: he doesn't really he doesn't really have emotional. He doesn't really get emotional a lot. He he's very concise in what he says. Like when you hear him talk about why he did this and why he did that. And we when he goes on the morning show at 97.1, when he says something, there's so much concisive about how he did this and why he took out this picture and why he did this. Those that's 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 rare. He's it's- very
1: I find A.J. Hinch to be very strategic. I find him to be um, very objective in his analysis of things. And I think he relies more on analytics mm-hmm. and more on the science of baseball than he does, you know, kind of like he's not a, I'm going to feel my way through it kind of guy. He's a no. I'm a very calc- He's a very calculated, um, you know, leader, and I think he makes decisions.
0: I think he's got human, based on.
1: I, he's very data driven.
0: I think he's got a he's he, very I, I think he's got a human element to him too, where he doesn't really rely on analytics totally, but he he uses it as a, as a tool. And he said that before. He uses it as a tool. He doesn't use it as the definitive measure. And I think that's what separates him from a lot of those guys that do use analytics as like their total. Go to, I mean, maybe in,
1: he uses analytics to validate
0: his instincts. That's, that's what I'm saying. So, yeah. like in hockey, there's the Toronto Maple Leafs, and they are a total analytical driven hockey team, mm-hmm. and they suck. I mean, I know it sucks, but they they can't. They're they're bad defensively, and they because they want to score goals, and they do score goals. But in the playoffs, a lot of times analytics goes out the window because playoffs are the playoffs and I love that AJ Hinch doesn't use strictly analytics to you know feel the way like, about the game because if you do that you're putting yourself in a bad position because I remember one guy in particular he he was he was a football coach uh, in the NFL and he used the analytics to a T mm-hmm. and he was absolutely dreadful in certain situations because he would go too heavy on analytics and he'd make this Brash decision to do this and it costs him the game. I think that what AJ Hinch does, he's so calculated that he goes, okay, not the time to use analytics. Like it's just not the time. And that's when you pick, when you pick your way, you pick your poison. That's how, that's how you really put your best. Use before. it when
1: you need to, but you don't rely on. It. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, and the thing is, I think the reason why we talked about this before, when we talk about analytics and the use of data in sports, um, I think what people need to realize, the smart managers, the smart coaches understand. And the reason why, by the way, these others who are so analytic, uh, reliant on analytics, why they tend to fail, you're not dealing with X's and O's on the ice or on the field or whatever. You're not dealing with, um, you know, ones and zeros. You're not dealing with, uh, you know, pieces of, you know, printed numbers on paper. That's not what you're dealing with. You're dealing with real people, human beings and human beings are not, um, you know, programmable like robots or like computers. They're not things happen in human existence that alter their performance, good or bad. They alter, you know, certain, you know, uh, the human spirit cannot be contained. And it's the fluctuations in what affects the human spirit that can affect performance, whether you're on the field or whether you're at home or whatever the case might be. And so I think the human element is missing with those folks who are so reliant on data uh, and so reliant on analytics. And you have to remember the human element because we are, in fact, at the end of the day, as as, as some of, some of these guys, you might think they're machines, but they're not. They're human beings with, um, you know, in a huge psychological and emotional component that cannot be, um, measured and cannot be, um, used and predict so predictable in every single type of situation and circumstance. So, I mean, some guys are something so simple as, as climate, some guys doesn't affect them. Some people, it affects them tremendously. Um, you know, or things like that. Sometimes some people can can really leave home issues at home and then go to work and it doesn't affect them. Uh, some people are just, you know, if they don't have a strong, if there's a problem in the family, someone's sick, some, you know, there's a, there's a conflict somewhere that bleeds into their play and there's just no way around it. So there's that human element that cannot be ignored. And I think when you're too heavily relying on analytics, that's what happens. And that's why you fail because you're ignoring the human element.
0: Yeah, you know, I just, I, I just, I, I, love analytics. Obviously, you know, I'm a big analytic guy, but I think you. Oh, and me too. I think, I think at times you have to put it aside and use your best foot, your best judgment. I think the analytics can sometimes cloud the judgment, and sometimes you make a decision based on analytics. It's going to cost you in the end. But I like what AJ Hinch does, and I need to see an extension from AJ Hinch. That's That's what it comes down to.
1: I agree. I think we need to see an extension, and I think we need to see more than a one-year extension. I'd like to see, you know, a three-year minimum.
0: Yeah, exactly. I'd like to see a three-year minimum because I think he's probably the best coach we have in Detroit right now.
1: Spring training looks interesting. I'll say that, Joe, for those who've been following spring training. Riley Green,
0: MVP, and Rookie of the Year, plus 1,600, bet now.
1: <laughs> this this episode is not sponsored by MGM Grand, Bet Rivers, or any of the other online betting casinos.
0: But we might have that in a few.
1: Oh yeah, it's possible.
0: Uh in the next segment of the, the Cindy and Joe show, we will be talking uh, the Lions, and we got to go through another rebuild segment. Let's we got to get just to it. it. We've already done some segments, but we're gonna we have to get our. They want to hear Cindy talk about. Battle me about the Lions. So let's go. Let's go. Welcome one and all.
1: We're feeling just a little bit country today.
0: It's a Western version of the Cindy and Joe show. Yee-yee. (laughs) I am playing that all of my exes live in Texas because one of our exes lives in Detroit. And that is the Detroit Lions. Because all they do is really just... Like they try to hurt us over and over again, but I think we are on the right track here. All right,
1: so we're on the again, like the Red Wings, we are on the road to recovery following our major bender. Yes, and in this case, the Lions' bender has lasted 50 years
0: <laughs> 64, 64 years. They've been on a bender for a while, but I think they're starting to go. Up. They signed Mike Hughes, which I detailed in that video that has gone really, really popular. 2,500 views since Monday. Look at you go. I know. I did a great job. But listen, Mike Hughes is a great is a great signing. I think that's one of the most underrated signings of the NFL free agency because he was so good in Kansas City. I think he comes to a place where, you know, Aubrey Pleasant, uh, Aaron Glenn, they can coach up anybody. I mean, they coached up a bunch of scrubs at the end of the season. So if they can coach up a bunch of scrubs, they can coach up a guy who was Really damn good. We chances. actually has some talent? Yeah. So yeah. he was a former first round pick. He didn't work with Minnesota because you know whatever. And uh, but he worked with KC, and that's what Detroit's going to try to do. But a lot of people are pissed off because the Lions aren't signing our key players. But we're in a rebuild, you know. Yeah. Obviously, Lions fans can make the same assumption. Oh, no, we've been a rebuild for 55 years. Like you know. But like. <laughs> But like, listen, like that's
1: what they all say. but look,
0: that's that. You, you know how I'm talking about because <laughs> you're, you're, you're in politics, so I you, you should know. But like, yeah, like, I, like they're rebuilding. I don't yeah. really want them to go out and sign all these high-priced free agents because I don't think they're at that point right now. But I think next year will be the year to spend.
1: Yeah, I think they're going to have to start making some investments for sure. They absolutely have to do that. But my opinion, Joe, and this is the case in any sport, really. Um, I don't think you buy marquee players. I think you make marquee players and you take guys who you can mold into your own image to reflect your team and what that means. And they become defining. And, um, so your team defines the player, not your player defining the team. Mm -hmm. Right. And so that's where you get your marquee players from. And that's where you, uh, build a true, uh, you know, solid team from that goes on to win championships. I mean, the Red Wings did it. know, think about it. We had a lot of great players on the Red Wings team, but you wouldn't say that you had this marquee player or that marquee player.
0: In the, you, and the marquee players you did have that were the, the mainstays, you drafted them.
1: Absolutely. You make them. You make those marquee players. But, you know, even some of those players who were multiple Stanley Cup champions, let's say with the Detroit Red Wings, okay, um because that's the most recent championship team we've had and that was you know 20 some years ago but you you look at that and what was the mark on the marquee the detroit red wings they were a unit okay and those guys that became marquee players with us even if they went to play on other teams they were still people identify them as detroit red wings that's what i'm talking about so that's what i think the lions need to do is they need to take some of this talent Uh, you know, some of these other guys are like, you know, Aquara and Nzerike and, um, you know, there's, um, you know, a number of other guys that I like too. Um, and you take some of these guys, Pneisul, um, and you make them marquee players and you have them become, you know, the, the Lions will define them in the future. And I'm talking about a future Lions here. I'm talking about a Lions team that is regularly competitive, um, a Lions team that we'll see in the playoffs, you know, and I believe those days are coming. Um, Actually, it's almost inevitable. I mean, look how long the Boston Red Sox had to wait for it, right? But right. it comes eventually. So every year that goes by, actually, it's more and more likely that it's going to happen at yep. some point. So I think the Lions can build it if they build it that way. Not only will they have the marquee players, but they will have a playoff contending team.
0: Yeah, I just think that, like, they need to build through the draft, get their players, and then when once you get your you get a couple of guys that you can identify as your mainstay talent, you can go out and get a free agent. And, and obviously, people need they don't trust golf, but you have to go get a quarterback at some point. And next year, hopefully, you can use the first round, two first round picks you have to move up in the draft, or what, what so be it, to get to where you got to go. But I think the Lions are doing a really, really good job. I think that they're. Making underrated signings um, that could help them this year, and I think it's a weak NFC, so it could help them out too. And I think, I just think the Lions are, are a lot better than they've done a lot better this off season than most people have given credit for. I
1: it would seem that way. It would seem that way. And you know what? I was always encouraged by, you know, even a couple of years ago when we started talking about this, is the fact that, and I still believe this. The fact that they've changed management at the top and they changed all of
0: it. And Chris Bielman is part of it. Yep. Chris Spielman. Yeah.
1: You've got, uh, you know, uh, Dan Campbell. You've got, you know, um, oh gosh, drawing a blank. You know, our guy. Brett Holmes. Brad Hol- Brett Holmes. You know, you've got between Brad Holmes, Dan Campbell, Chris Spielman. That alone is enough to change the trajectory all the way down. It's like trickle down economics, right? It's trickling down, and those guys are going to put together the team that they envision. And I think they're all on the same page. And I think that's good for Lions fans. It's good for the Detroit Lions. It's, you know, it's give, not, give them give them three or four years. Ago. It's
0: not easy taking over for a moron in Pat Matt Patricia and Bob and Quinn. <laughs> so it's going to take some time because yeah. that 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 guy has those two. Dumb, dumb guys. Boobs. Assholes. Boobs. Boobs. They, they're using a right. lot of body parts, but that's basically what they are. They're just a bunch of invalids. And uh, so, and it's, you know, it—it it just Tell it, us
1: how you really feel, Joe. You know
0: what? It really pisses me off though, because right, these, these guys had an opportunity to win in Detroit, and the, Matt Patricia's dumbass took over a playoff team. And he buried it into the ground. He ran people away. Bob Quinn's dumbass couldn't draft to save his life. He's drafting a linebacker who can't even run faster than Cindy. No offense, Cindy.
1: <laughs> Boy, now that's bad. Because I am speed is not my forte. That is for darn sure.
0: Cindy, we've all had we've all had to wait on you, okay? We know speed isn't your forte. <laughs> you're like you're you are Jelani Tavat. <laughs> uh, so uh, listen
1: oh boy i gotta these, go along with this one all right these
0: people these those guys were just the ultimate they were uh uh what's 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 the word for uh uh uh, uh when you you have a bad you have bad food in the fridge and it smells a whole effing fridge up like old food they were old food. They were old tofu that was left over. Like I don't even like tofu. That's exactly what There's I. was like botulism,
1: run amok. Yeah, right?
0: botulism. <laughs> every you're getting sick. You're puking. Your rancid, guts out, you're,
1: rancid you're, smell.
0: Yeah. The the, the lions right, like death. The lions right now are on the toilet and getting rid of all the bad stuff because oh. they literally were just. They, they were. It was bad Mexican food. It was bad. Matt Patricia. Matt Patricia and Bob Quinn
1: put together bad, bad food.
0: Mexican food. They're bad, and you know what happens when you eat Mexican the, food. You
1: think it's burning, going down. It's burning three times as bad coming out.
0: It's going, it's <laughs> going through you like shit on a tin horse, man. It's ramming that shit, and it's like these guys were so bad that Matt, they, they Matthew Stafford couldn't wait to get the hell out. And I don't blame him because right. But, but Matt Patricia.
1: Well, that was. That, just-
0: that guy, I swear to God, if he got hit by a bus, I'd I'd be like, okay, see you, dude. <laughs> now,
1: come on, Joe. No. I don't think of these things nearly in such. No,
0: no listen, I, you, you, a no, listen. You're being a drama queen listen, right now. Listen, I have waited all my life for a Lions playoff victory. I'm 28 years old now. I have not seen it. This guy took over a playoff roster. That he got from Jim Caldwell, which Jim Caldwell wore two watches, but he was a good coach. He still got the nine wins. This guy takes over in his garbage bag poncho and all of that, and and he can't even he can't even win. He can't even get the five hundred. Like, and you have Matthew Stafford as your quarterback. What a I just you know what that guy that guy he he's on the same list as like uh, Osama bin Laden. That's a harsh list. He, he's a terrorist. He's... Matt Patricia was a terrorist to the Lions organization, and now the Lions are trying to get clear of all that bad juju that this this garbage bag fat slob Boo. took over, <laughs> and and they're getting rid of it. They're saying no, we gotta get rid of it. We cut Trey Flowers. See you, dude. Like you, you're just as worthless as him, and like, but Trey Flowers was a good guy. I like Trey Flowers, but Jesus man, like. You have to give this team time because they are working through some stuff. It's like a bad relationship gone bad. They a bad are,
1: relationship gone badder.
0: They are they are <laughs> they are going to the gym. They are working out. They are getting fit. They're not, you know, they're they're probably you know getting better. You know, trying to get some more stamina up. So the one lean when the time fighting. is right, they can strike and strike and strike.
1: Well, that's the whole point, Joe. Every man knows this.
0: My blood pressure is you,
1: you have to be ready to perform when the time is right. You just gotta be ready to do it.
0: Amen. Right? And you know okay. what? And you know what? You know what, Matt Patricia never could? He can never perform when the time is right because he's overweight, slob, and I don't even know how he had a wife. There we go.
1: <laughs> I think the I mean, but here's the point. I think the perspective is changing at the Lions. Uh it's it's a whole different ball now. But you gotta give them time. But I'll tell you what, and you know what I think. You saw from the Lions, what you're going to see next season is what you saw in the last three games of last season. That's the new Lions. Now, can they build on that? Yeah. Yes. And will they build on it? Yes. Will they invest in it? Yes. Dan so Campbell let's see is what eating kneecaps. Like. Let's go. That's right.
0: Least, and know, the man. At least Dan Campbell actually respects his body because he actually looks like a tank still. Mm, he sure does. The, you, you, yeah, he you don't look bad.
1: He don't look bad. That.
0: On our next uh, segment of the podcast, our last segment, we will be talking about Michigan basketball as they prepare for the Sweet 16. It will be a short little snippet, but I got a heavy opinion. Sweet. Right. <laughs> Woo! Yeehaw! It's because Michigan's in the, in the Sweet 16.
1: Yeah, that's why – that's why I was wondering what the whole country music connection was, because you know we are your hometown team on Det- Between the Whistles Detroit Network, the Cindy and Joe Show, but you would think it was like Between the Whistles San Antonio or Houston or mm-hmm. something like well, that. We
0: gotta we, we gotta have love for our country folk because they are some good people.
1: Amen. Absolutely. But
0: Michigan's in the Sweet Sixteen. They play Villanova, which you know. Obviously, you're a Michigan State fan.
1: Yes. So it's so hard for me. I want you to know I choke when I have to say go, gu- go gu- blue. B-
0: b- you, don't blue. Have, you don't have to say that. You don't <laughs> have to say that. But I do know I when my Spartans
1: are out, I'm all blue.
0: But here's the thing. As this is both the Michigan, Michigan kind of state kind of segment. Because it's kind of a compliment to Michigan Michigan and Juwan Howard. You know, I've watched Michigan State for years and this was the first year a fine choice which yeah this but this is like this this year and last year were the two years that i just i didn't see an alpha right Mm -hmm. i didn't see an alpha dog with michigan they're everything that michigan state basketball used to be now let me let me rephrase this michigan basketball has been in the sweet 16 i think five times in the last so many years, but last, at least the last 10. But anyways, they right now have been better and they have been more doggish to, uh, to, to, be, to be frankly. They've been better in the way that they approach the game. They've been better in the way that they uh, attack and You know, every time we we talk about – when we talk about Michigan State football, we talk about this relentless attitude, and, you know, you see it on the helmets and everything. Michigan basketball has the same relentless attitude. They have an attitude, and that's good. You should have an attitude when you're good. And there's a guy, you know, that a lot of Michigan State fans don't like, and Hunter Dickinson He's kind of a pompous ass. I kind of don't like him either because I think he's a prick. But listen
1: (laughs) – Boy, that's not putting too fine a point on it. Well, I think I think no, he, no. Did you, did you catch what? See what I did there?
0: Yeah. Not put too fine a point on it. Yeah, just I think saying, I, right. I think he's just he's 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 a dog and he's an alpha. And when you're an alpha, you kind of piss off other alphas, you know. And that's the reality. But just the way they play, they're they're a tough team. Um, they match the Juwan Howard's uh, the, you know mentality. And for all the hate that. I gave Jawan Howard about his uh, his slap of Greg Gard, you know, when he got suspended. Um, he's really turned it on. He's really turned it on. And he's really been a good coach. And he's shown it. And there's one thing that if Tom Izzo needs to look in the mirror, he needs to look down look, like Jim Harbaugh needed to look down to, to East Lansing and see what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Michigan State better look down to Ann Arbor and see what they're doing. Because what they're doing is they are they have done what Michigan State basketball was. When they had Brandon Dawson, when they had Draymond Green, when they had Xavier Tillman, guys that, like, showed leadership. They showed an alpha dog personality that they could take the game over if they need to. They're the leader, and they've shown that they were the leader. And that's one of the issues that Michigan State had with Michigan – Dickinson's their leader and he shows he's their leader and he's a mismatch because a lot of teams can't keep up with his size. But if you're being honest with yourself, Michigan basketball has been really, really good. They've been, they've been.
1: Well, they're record setting. I mean, what is this? Five, five consecutive trips now to the sweet 16. Yep. I mean that in and of itself says an awful lot about this program. It says a lot about, the uh, Stabil- mentality, the stability. the stability of the program, right. Something, somebody got it right, and now they are standing on the shoulders of Giants, and they're just taking it to the next level.
0: Yeah, and I think Michigan basketball has done a really, really good job. And frankly, the whole the the, the whole athletic department's doing their, their best. Their women's basketball team, they're in a Sweet 16, too. Their hockey team is the number one overall seed in the college hockey tournament.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Michigan Tech and Western Michigan are in that tournament too. Um, so that'd be cool to see a Michigan versus Michigan final where maybe you see Western Michigan play Michigan in the final, or Michigan Tech play Michigan in the final. That'd be pretty cool. But it it, it just it just goes to show you that we always talk about it the underdog mentality where you're always fighting for diplomacy, you're always fighting for uh to be that player. That's what Michigan basketball is right now, and it's kind of rewarding to see and I I'm, I'm looking forward to them playing them uh, all against the uh, Villanova team that is very very they're pretty good they're a really good team but well they're
1: really well rounded they're number two yeah and they're really re- well rounded and Michigan's gonna have to definitely bring their a game coming up against Villanova but I think that they're gonna be able to do well I'm a, I, I'll bet you this I'll tell you this that's gonna be a very it's gonna be a very close game. This is not going to, and it's going to be a nail biter right down to the last seconds. And I think Juwan Howard and his team are going to be able to pull it off. I think Michigan's going to walk away with the win.
0: I would agree. I think Michigan's going to do good, and I think I just think Michigan has a chance to really be special. And I really think that they're they've been playing so good. Um, it's been actually fun to watch because I I like the way they play. They play like an underdog, and I love I love the way that they play the whole you know battling and just doing the dirty work that's something i take pride in and i think a lot of people do and just to see them battle back and you know what for all the hate that jawan howard has got he's he's done a really good job with that program and ever since coming back he's you know uh, they lost to indiana uh, in, the, in the first round of the big 10 tournament and they haven't looked back since that and i think that was a defining moment for him and he got to look in the mirror and I think that did them well because they really don't want to taste that again so they play villanova tomorrow it's going to be a pretty pretty sizable game but i think that they can win i think hunter dickinson is the uh is the key and we'll see after this weekend if they get to the final four and if they get to the final four that's a pretty that's a pretty sizable accomplishment
1: well we'll definitely be doing a full analysis uh as michigan makes its way through the ranks and uh you will be able to hear All of our commentary on the Cindy and Joe show. We always take a little bit of a different angle than other sports outlets that you hear. We tend to add the human element, which a lot of people don't. Yep. And we have a different perspective. You won't want to miss it.
0: That is it for the Cindy and Joe show this week. It has been a pretty lengthy episode, especially with all our internet issues.
1: But you won't want to miss a single minute of it because, damn, we're funny. (laughs) Well, maybe not today
0: damn straight <laughs> but no it's it, it was it's, it's it's just fun coming on the podcast and doing stuff that's different but keep uh keep it we are now on iheart we are now on uh stitcher amazon music podcast and
1: uh and of course you know always on we apple got, we, spotify we got facebook
0: a, we got a couple more avenues where we we're trying to get to you guys in the listening audience obviously we're trying to get an odyssey we don't know if we can get an odyssey because they have some strict rules or something. And Joel will
1: say they're dumb. but they're here's
0: dumb rules.
1: Here's what, you, here's what we recommend you do. You want to follow our page on Facebook because we post some really awesome content there. You can always stay up to date on all of the Detroit sports as well as U of M and Michigan State. We are your number one one-stop shop between the whistles Detroit on
0: Facebook. Yep, and you can see us there, and you can harass us there, and you can talk crap there, and, and we
1: might even answer you back and harass you back on there, and that's lots of fun. Try sparring with Cindy. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, no, no one wants to do that. Nobody wants to do but that. Thank you for listening to Cindy and Joe show this week on uh, March 23rd. We will see you next week.
1: Looking forward to it.
0: Stay safe, have fun, and uh, don't drink yourself into oblivion this week. That's right. Wise words from Mr. Chat.
1: As always.